the story really is, um, it's, a, it's a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. We feel confident about it because they didn't take anything away from the Bible. Um, but what they did was they made it, uh, they, they designed it in a way so that we can read it as a narrative. Right, but it's still scripture, and so we're re- we're we're using it as a tool. But we're preaching straight from the Bible this morning. So if you're uncomfortable, maybe that'll make you a little bit more comfortable. Um, so a few years ago, I think it was like t- around 2003, Las Vegas of all places needed more people to come to their city. Right? <laughs> I guess they just needed more money, more people to gamble. And so uh, what they what they did was they came up with a series of commercials. And you'll remember them as I, as I talk about them. And their catchphrase was, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Oh, y'all know that. I'm telling the Lord. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Man, they had these, like, some commercials inappropriate. Some were like, that's, that's stupid. Why would you not want that to come back? But the, the, idea of the, the, the idea of the commercials is what happened there, no matter what you did, or what, whatever you indulged in, whatever happened there in Vegas would not leave Vegas. Those commercials became so popular that the Chamber of Commerce for the city of Las Vegas adapted it as their, uh, as their official um, city slogan. And it didn't change until 2014, just, just a few years ago. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This morning we're going to look at a biblical character who's Philosophy towards sin was exactly like Las Vegas's theme. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Or as we look at King David, you could probably say what happened in the palace stays in the palace. So if you're in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll pick up right there. But just, just before we get there, I want to catch everyone up to where we are in the story so we're all on the same page. Just a few chapters ago in the Bible, Israel was growing discontent in God being their leader. And so they decided to take their life into their own hands. Sound familiar? Right? (laughs) They said, God, you're not Lord. Uh, We know what's best for our lives, and so we want a king. And God said, no, you don't want a king. And they're like, yes, we do. We want a king. And they just persisted. And so God said, all right, here's your king. And he chose King Saul. The Bible describes King Saul as a head above the rest. He was the leader you would want to lead. That is, until power got in the way. And he decided to follow what he thought was best. Oh, that's much better. Now I don't have to scream. I feel like I'm yelling up here. All right. Is that better for everybody else? Okay. All right. In 2003, no, just kidding, <laughs> 2000, start over. Uh, king Saul was the king, and at first he started out as a very humble king, right? One that was following what God had in store for him, and God honored that. But then he got away from what God wanted. He decided to lead the country or the nation of Israel on his own. He decided to lead God's people based on what he wanted instead of what God wanted. And so God removed his anointing from King Saul to King David. Now, you remember, King David was anointed as a younger man. He was, uh, his dad didn't even think that he should be the king. King Samuel, or, uh, Samuel comes to Jesse's home and asks Jesse, Jesse, bring all of your sons in. We need to anoint a new king. 
So Jesse brings in Eliab. He's the biggest. He's the oldest. He probably has the most experience. And God says, no, not this one. He says, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. Remember this verse, 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 7? It says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. I'm excited this morning to talk about Daniel. I mean, <laughs> plot twist, right? Where'd Daniel come from? <laughs> I'm excited this morning to talk about David. Uh, the Thompson Reference Bible uh, says this about David. It, it's going to be the first slide, Sasha. It says this, that no biblical character more fully illustrates the moral range of the human nature than King David. I mean, King David is chosen by God. He's the least likely, right? He's, he, he goes and he slays Goliath. He's the man. He comes, he, he slays Goliath and cuts his head off and says, check this out. Look what the Lord did. That's someone I would follow, right? But, um, but man, David takes quite a fall. If you read chapter 12 in the story, and keep up with us in the story, I know it's 12 pages of reading. I know that's a lot of reading during the week, right? Two pages a day. But stick with us, and when you're done, you'll, you'll really be blessed because you've read through the whole, um, you'll, you've read through the, the Bible and have gotten the whole story. And so here we are. Uh, 2 Samuel, David's the man, he's become king, he's leading the nation of Israel, everything's going good until we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, Everybody there in your Bible? Anybody need a Bible? You need a Bible? All right, can, uh, (laughs) no, 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 there's some Bibles over here. Uh, um, Yeah, Christian, will you, uh, that's how it works here, we just point at people and tell them to do stuff. In the name of the Lord, will you please pass out Bibles. All right, so if you need a Bible, throw your hand up uh, so that I can point you out in front of everyone, and someone will, someone will bring you a Bible. Uh, we pass these out every week. We want that to be your Bible. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and David is going to learn the fallacy of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. All right, ready? 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. In the spring, don't neglect that, okay? Look at this verse. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That first verse is key for us this morning. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba. <laughs> she's taking a bath, and her name is Bathsheba. So You just need to write LOL in your Bible right there. <laughs> the daughter of Eliam. Now listen to this. This is important. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. If you don't know what that means, ask your mom. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent his, 
uh, sent, so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how, was Joab, how Job was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet, wink, wink. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace and all his master's servants and did not go down to the house. Let's just read the next two verses. David was told Uriah did not go home. And so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and the Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uh, this, is, this is interesting, man. So I want to show you, so we're going to learn a few things today about David um, and, and, and his relationship with sin. And I think we're going to be able to make really clear comparisons with our life to the life of David. And what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to ask a question that I can't answer for you with each, I guess, point, if, if that's what you want to call it. So the first thing right here is David rationalizes his sin. And so the question we're going to ask, we, you've got to ask yourself, I can't answer this for you, I can only answer it for me. How are you rationalizing your sin? We're going to talk about this, this scripture we just read in just a second. But if it starts with something like, it's okay because, that's your first clear indicator. I deserve this because. It's all right because, whatever. So this passage that we just read, it starts with, um, in the spring, all right, you're looking at your Bible, right? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David, he's not the jester of Israel, right? He's not the gardener of Israel. David is the, the king of Israel. And so in the springtime, when kings are off to war, where is David? Not off to war. David is still in his palace hanging out. And so it's, you, you can't skip verse 1 just to get to this, like, this uh, Netflix original drama. you gotta be, you got to hang out in verse 1 for a minute. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but... David remained in Jerusalem. So it's, um, it, it's estimated that Rabbah, this nation, is, it's only about 40 miles away, right? So it's okay because it's still pretty close. I, I can hear David saying, you know what? Y'all go. I'll just stay here. It's close enough that if you need me, you can come get me, right? Just shoot me a text. I'll be there. It's not that far away. And so David's like, look. Other, other kings might, it's the springtime when kings go off to war, and it's all right for other kings to go to war, but I'm just going to stay right here. I'll, I'll be all right. The kings, kings, man, y'all know this. 
You would follow someone who's going to go in front of you and show you the way, rather than someone who's standing behind you telling you how to do it. Well, where's, where's King David when all, when all this is, is happening? You know, I, I can imagine David saying, I'm tired. I can imagine David saying, I'm Slade Goliath. It's y'all's turn. Go ahead and make y'all's, like, do, do y'all's own thing. I just see him maybe being tired, maybe him being prideful, maybe him being a little bit indignant that you would think that I'm the king and I'm going to go be in the front line of the army. Here's what is significant about this section. The king is not where he's supposed to be. And he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. If you want a really simple definition of integrity, be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and do what you're supposed to be doing. Be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and do what you're supposed to be doing. It's a simple definition of integrity, and we see it lacking here in King David. I, don't, I mean, we don't know why David hung back. Maybe it's to strategize. Maybe, maybe he does have a good rationale for, being, for not being where he's supposed to be, but the fact remains he's not where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be, and doing what he's supposed to be doing. So maybe he feels guilty, and so he goes up to the rooftop. Maybe he wants to see just some, like, some of the battle. So that he can, he can you know, somehow be with his men. Maybe he, he goes up to the roof because he's just got anxiety about, maybe he's got guilt for not being where he's supposed to be. He just needs some, some fresh air. Oh, goodness, I can't win today. I can win because I'm, on the, I'm in the Lord's army. All right, there we go. Preach, brother. All right. Um. Yeah, okay, back, back to it. He's, maybe he feels good. To, maybe he's just up there to, to get uh, some fresh air. Maybe he's just walking around. But the reality is he's not where he's supposed to be when he's on top of that roof. And then he looks down and he sees this girl. And this is more than just a real quick glance and look away, right? This is, the, the King James Version translates it this way. It says that he was enamored with Bathsheba. He thinks she's beautiful. And so then he uses, his, um, he uses his kingship powers. He says, go find out about that. And it's significant that it comes back to say that, um, let's see, look, look at verse uh, 7. Or verse 6, I'm sorry. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me, no, wrong verse. Uh, verse, oh, verse 3. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said... Check this out. She is, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. See, here, here's what I think, or I thought at first, was that uh, David saw this random girl that he didn't know, and he, he just can't help himself. So he's like, man, I got to have her. Go get her for me. And then when, he, when they come back, it's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of the wife of, you know, that these men really don't matter to him. But this is significant, y'all, because what we find out, if you keep reading in 2 Samuel, you'll find out that David has close relationships with these men. Uriah, at the end of 2 Samuel, is one of David's mighty men, is what he's described as. 
his bodyguard. What you'll find at the end of 2 Samuel in chapter 23 is that the daughter of Eliam, Eliam is one of David's other personal bodyguards. And that she's the granddaughter of a, a guy named Ahitaphel. Name your children that. But he's one of the most respected men in all of David's kingdom. David knew who Bathsheba was. He knew the ties that she has to everybody else. The power of sex is so real for David. And the fact that nobody else will know because what happens in the palace, well, it stays in the palace. And so he's the, he says, I'm the king and I'm going to invite her over. And then there's Bathsheba. Now what Bathsheba is doing is normal. Some commentators will try to put blame on Bathsheba for this. But bathing in the middle of the afternoon on the roof is normal. Because it's when the water would have been the coolest. And with her nation at war, where would all the men and the kings be? Not here. They're at war. She's fine to take a bath on the top of the roof. And you read that, right? That she's, she's taking a bath as a part of the ceremonial cleansing after, you know, after being on her period for the week. It's a seven-day-long process, but you, you may not know this. Some of y'all need to know this. That's the most fertile time for her, is right after that cycle, right? And so, David and Bathsheba, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except it, it doesn't, right? So there's this whole big thing right now. Like, it's... You know, my microphone falls out of my pocket. And I'm like, man, I just can't catch a break. Y'all, David can't catch a break. Bathsheba can't catch a break. But you know what? If they were where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be doing it, David wouldn't have this problem. And so David requires more planning. And so he calls Uriah. Uh, he says, Uriah, I want you to come back to me. Now, listen to the contrast. Do you see the contrast in Scripture here? David's not where he's supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing, when he's supposed to be doing it. And so then he calls Uriah out of the battle, and he says, man, come home. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what it's like to be at war, and I don't know what it's like to be deployed. So, guys, don't, or men and women, don't, don't hear me trying to, uh, trying to relate it too closely, right? But if I'd been gone from any length of time, and David calls me home, you know where I'm going first? I'm going home first. You catch my drift, right? And, but Uriah doesn't. Uriah comes to King David. King David asks him, how's the war going? He says, this is how it's going. This is how it's going. He's like, look, man, you've earned this. I want you to go home, and I want you to. He gives him the code, wash your feet. <laughs> What's Uriah do? Who doesn't jump at that opportunity, right, to just see your wife? But Uriah says, how can I, right? What he says is, how can I do that when the ark of the Lord, my men and my nation are out there fighting? Y'all, this is the type of man that we celebrate on Memorial Day. He says, I, I can't do it. And David's like, I got a simple fix. Come on, man, let's have a few glasses of wine. So he tries to get him drunk, and then he does it again. But still, it doesn't work. Uriah is such a man of integrity. Guys, 
There are parts of Scripture where we want to be like David, but this part, I want to be like Uriah. So King David, man, when you rationalize your sin, listen, guys, when you rational, guys, listen, friends, when you rationalize your sin, then it just causes you to have to cover it up. And covering up your sin just makes you have to cover it up more, cover it up more, cover it up more. And so he does the like mob boss thing. He writes a note for Uriah to take back to Joab, the commander of the army. And here's some more integrity that, dude, I would have read it as soon as I got out of the palace. But Uriah takes the note back with full integrity, hands it to Joab. And here's what the note says. When the battle is at its highest, put, put Uriah at the front lines. And when... Uh, and and when, when the battle's raging, pull back and let Uriah die. Dude, this has gotten deep, right? This is a movie you would watch. Here's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't hide these things, right? Like this is the most prosperous king that Israel will have at this point until um, David and Bathsheba's second son, Solomon, he'll... he'll uh, make it more prosperous, but th- this is a prosperous king, and um, um, and and the and the Bible doesn't hide this. Right? They're, they're not trying to protect the story. They're trying to give us a real example of what it looks like. Man, I, David rationalizes his sin. What sin are you rationalizing? What 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 are you? Um, <laughs> What are you pretending not to know? What are, what are you doing right now that's okay because? Well, when you, um, when you rationalize your sin, the, the second thing is, you, you got to know this, your sin will show itself. That's the second thing that we're going to learn from Samuel. But let's, uh, let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. Nathan is a brave dude. Here we go. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came, uh, and when he came to him, he said, "All right." The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came there, he said this to David: "There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor." And I bet David's like, "Oh, cool, dude! I love when you tell stories, right?" He, he gets real close to him and. He says, all right, so rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. And David's like, okay, yeah, all right, I'm following you. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. And David's like, oh. He raised it, and he grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, uh, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. That sounds like some of y'all and y'all's dogs. Yeah, that was a dig at Josh. He's <laughs> Josh, if you listen to this recording, my bad, bro. <laughs> now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So he took it and killed it and sacrificed it and made the meat. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. 
He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Man, it's strange for us to find David saying this, right? Like, it's weird how our sin finds us out. Anybody else or just me, especially ones you try to hide. It's amazing how someone caught up in such self-righteousness would, would say, man, he deserves to die. But that's what David says, right? David is an adulterer, a manipulator, a, a, a murderer, right? And, and in this story, he says that the rich, the righteous man should die. And you know, by doing so, he says, he like gives himself his, his own condemnation, this is not what sermon's about, but one thing you might want to check yourself on here is this is the proper way to call out sin with your brother or your Christian sister. One-on-one and with compassion, um, but with truth. Not being passive and not being a jerk, although sometimes you can be a jerk in love, right? And not on social media for the world to see. Sorry if that hurt. It's hard to contemplate, though, how David could earn the man of the title man after God's own heart, but we're going to see the difference between him and King Saul. Do you remember what happened when King Saul is confronted with his sin? He just made excuses. Well, here's why. Here's why. Here's why I did that. We do that with our sin, too. Here's why I did this. Here's why I did this. That's also called rationalizing. And, but what does David do? Let's look. Verse 7. Check this out. Man, this is good. Then, David said, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Oh. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite Hittite, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, Out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who's close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing to you in broad daylight before all of Israel. Do you see see David's response in verse 13? David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I want to teach you about a Christianese word called repentance. And it's a word that we should get more familiar with. It's more than just a word that the dude with the sandwich board at the beach yells out. Repentance means to change your mind, a 180 degree turn. But it's more than just a mind change. You've got to put actions with it. Okay? Now you can talk about repentance with anything. I repent from eating at McDonald's. Um, and so I make the mind shift change, right? But it's not real repentance until I start to not eat at McDonald's, which is not that hard, by the way. <laughs> um, but 
I make that 180 degree shift, and then right after church, people will say, I, I want to go to McDonald's. And then I'm like, yeah, let's go. I get to be with y'all. I'll, I'll eat at McDonald's. Well, one, that's rationalizing, and I think eating McDonald's is a sin. I'm sure it's in there somewhere, <laughs> except McFlurries. That's not in there. Um, it's not repentance because I just gave up on it. Repenting from your sin means exactly that. I'm going to change my mind from doing it. But, man, our mind is so fickle, right? Like, my mind just, just I'll make up my mind, dude. I'm going to work out every day. And then the next day, I'm like, all right, I'll start that tomorrow. <laughs> I've done that every day all year, and it's going to start day after Memorial Day, right? But repentance means I'm, going to, I'm now going to turn away from not working out. I'm going to, I'm going to turn and run this way. This is, what Pete, this is what Paul says to Timothy at one point. He says, flee from the evil desires of your youth. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're just going to run away from sin, you're, you're going to turn a course and you'll be back. You need something to pursue. And so Paul says, uh, he says, flee from your, the evil desires of your youth and pursue faith, hope, and righteousness. And so if you're going to repent, you need to leave. You need to run toward something. There's a young man named John, and he received a parrot as a gift. What a great gift. And the parrot that he got had a bad attitude and a bad mouth. Sounds like some of y'all's kids. Oh, I'm just kidding. I don't even know y'all. Well, I know some of y'all, so I do know some of y'all's kids. I'm just, it was mean, and I didn't mean to say that, and so I'm going to repent to not talk about your kids anymore. A young man, uh, he, so he receives this, this parrot, has a bad attitude and bad vocabulary. Everything that the parrot said was rude. And so John would have people over, and the parrot would just ruin the party, right? And so he did everything he could to get the parrot to stop. He used polite language. He talked to the parrot uh, with proper English. He played classical music. He tried to do everything he could, but the parrot just wouldn't stop. So finally, John got so upset, he, he got fed up, and he yelled at the parrot, and the parrot just yelled back. So he, got, he, he grabbed the parrot and shook the parrot, and the parrot got even more rude and violent, and finally, he just got fed up, and so he put the parrot in the freezer. So the parrot starts to squawk and scratch at the door, and the parrot just goes on and on and on, but finally, after a few minutes, the parrot chills out. <laughs> oh, that... Hey. That was not the joke, but it should have been. So the parrot stops making noise. And uh, so John gets a little concerned. And so he opens up the freezer and he opens up his arms and the parrot walks right into his arms. And the parrot says, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and my actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable, unforgivable behavior. And so John, stunned at the parrot's change, he's about to ask the parrot, what, what changed your mind? Why such a dramatic change after I stuffed you in the freezer? But right as he was about to ask, the parrot asked John a question, and he said, can I ask you what the turkey did? <laughs> David's response to Nathan is similar to the parrot who will repent. He says, I'll do whatever. I see the depth of what can happen. I will change. David says, I'm, I'm the turkey. I'm the dead one. And so, 
Here's the question. Sin shows itself every time. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, Here's the question. How are you actively trying to repent of your sin? Active being the key word. And here's a few things, man. Just read the Bible. First of all, so you can find out what sin, right? You need to know what sin is so that you can repent from it. But here's the other part. Listen, someone in your life besides your spouse, you need to give your spouse this permission too. But you need someone else in your life that is not your spouse that you give permission to to be your Nathan. How do you, and then how will you respond to them? That's called an accountability partner. And I want to give you a little secret to be an accountability partner. Uh, you can own, you'll only have an accountability partner until you stop. And what I mean by that is when that person asks you, man, how, how are you doing with this? You have to be honest every time. Because the moment you stop, they're no longer your accountability partner. Okay, And so that's the second thing. Sin shows itself. And so how are you actively trying to repent? Um, I want to show you this. This is David's response. David keeps like a journal throughout his whole life. And we know it as the book of Psalms. Most of the book of Psalms is written by David. This needs to be our prayer. This needs to be what we write down when we get called out by our Nathan. It's Psalm chapter 51, and this is what it says. It's on the screen for you. Oh, man, listen to these words. And maybe this needs to be your prayer right now. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always in front of me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your, in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop or hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Underline verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Please sustain me. Oh, man. You want to talk about a deep relationship with the Lord? You want to talk about real repentance? Memorize Psalm 51. Um, and so uh, let's talk about sin for a minute. We rationalize sin. If sin just gets, un, it gets out of control in our life, we don't have a method of repenting or being called out on our sin. Here's what happens. You and I start to identify ourselves by that sin. Like It's really easy for us to call David an adulterer and a murderer, right? Manipulator. I bet if you went down your list, you would think of yourself maybe some of those things. 
<clears throat> maybe you refer to yourself as an addict. Maybe you're a liar. failure. I don't know. Those things are not who you are when you give your life to Jesus. But if our sin goes unchecked, that's what happens. And David gets so wrapped up in his identity as what he did with Bathsheba and that he's got to cover it by doing this, this plan with Uriah. See, sin, man, when, we, when it's not checked, it, it, it creates a whole new identity for who we are. And it tells you, your identity tells you who you are and who you should be. I learned this from a professor in college, and he tells this to his kids. And, and so I've, I've started saying it to mine. My kids have no idea what it means, but one day they will. Always remember who you are. Never forget whose you are. Always remember who you are. But never forget whose you are. Who you belong to? You belong to me? <laughs> he might want to forget that one day. But, he f- but our kids belong to the Lord. I want to say that to you. Never forget who you are. But never forget to whom you belong. Right? David is, uh, he forgot he was the king, so he stays home. He forgets he's a godly man, so he's watching Bathsheba bathe. He forgets she's the wife of a friend, a granddaughter of one of his associates, and he betrays their trust. He forgets the Ten Commandments that he sees every day, and he commits adultery and murder. And everything that David has done up to this point is probably one of the most familiar stories with David. But this is not who David is. And so in that Psalm, chapter 51, he says, God, restore me, create in me a new heart. Right? Don't re- remove your eyes from my transgressions, but don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. Man. <clears throat> Make that your prayer. Okay, let's, let's work a little faster here. The last thing that we, we need to look here, and I'm going to give you the point and the question at the beginning of this. And I'm going to share some scripture, and then we're going to come back to the third point and its question. Here it is. This is, this is one, I, I don't like this one. But it's true. Sin has consequences. Ooh. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> a lot of times someone will, uh, well, sometimes when someone gives their life to Jesus, they're just hoping their life will get better. Right? And, and sometimes it comes after a tragedy or, or, or something that, that has happened. And I remember in particular one person uh, in, in my ministry before, um, they had made some really poor decisions. And so then they came to church on Sunday and they're like, I'll just give my life to Jesus. Great idea. It's a great idea. So we're having this conversation and, and he's, he's sharing me with all of these things. And, and I told him, I said, brother, I just got to let you know that giving your life to Jesus isn't going to erase all of those things. You still have to deal with the consequences of your sin. But those sin, that sin and those consequences don't define who you are. So as a Christian, I want you to answer this question. Are you living in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus? Like, is your every day defined by the forgiveness that Christ gives to you? Right? God forgave you a long time before you'll forgive yourself. And that's just something you'll have to work out. But the question that we're asking is, are you living as if you've been forgiven? Or are we still living like this shame-filled, 
shackled of life. Like we can't get away from it. I mean, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I feel like I can't get away from sin. I feel like it, it's right there with me. Every time I do good, evil is right there with me. And it, he says it's like a slave master and I can't get away. But then when you read in chapter 7 and get to chapter 8, it says, but there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Y'all, we have been forgiven by Jesus. I think it's time for us as Christians to start living like it. So uh, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, um, <clears throat> the, the king here, David, he says, I, I sinned against the Lord, and he was quick to do that. Um, so the punishment that David has, right, he loses his son with Bathsheba. He dies. Um, he has constant war from, the time, from this time until he, his, his kingship stops. Um, his own wives were raped in broad daylight. Um, his whole family rises up against him, and there's even some infighting within them. And it's interesting that this, the man that David condemns in Nathan's story, right? He says that the man should pay four times for what he's taken. And through the life of David and through chapter 12 of the story, David loses four sons. And it, it, sin, sin will take it all from you. Especially one night, right? One night, one afternoon. One, one moment of rationalization and David's life has changed just like that. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Little leaven leavens the whole lump. What it means is sin going unchecked will always spread. It will always grow. It will always trap you up. Don't think that you can get away from it. Here's what Romans chapter 6 says about our sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages, the price of our sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love the second part, but we, gotta, we really have to understand the first part. Our sin, the price of our sin is death. You see it in the life of David, literally. But what Paul's talking about here is a spiritual kind of death. So as we were talking, as I was uh, thinking about this last night, um, there's one story in particular, and this is how we'll finish this morning, is, is the story in the Bible. It, it's, it's about Peter, and uh, <clears throat> um, Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus has 12 really close friends. We call him the disciples, right? Both in the disciples, he has an inner circle, three, Peter, James, and John. And uh, so he, he's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he's seen a lot, right? Peter has been the object of Jesus' rebuking. They go hand in hand, right? Peter and Jesus, Peter and Jesus, Peter and Jesus. Peter's with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying, Lord, I don't want to do this. God, I don't want to go to the cross. If there's another way to make this happen, make it happen. But Jesus says, but if it's your will, I'll do it. And, um, and then they come, to arrest Jesus. they come to arrest Jesus. Peter gets so angry, he takes his sword out and cuts off one of the dude's ears. 
Like, you're not taking my, you're not taking my dude, right? You're not taking my man. And, um, and Jesus like, chill, dude, put it, put it away. He heals the man's ear, and they arrest Jesus and take him off. And the disciples flee, except for Peter and John. But Peter kind of watches from a distance. Just a few days, or just a few moments earlier, like hours earlier, they're all eating a meal, and Jesus realizes that their feet aren't washed. And so he takes the nature of a servant, right? And, and he puts a towel around his waist in a basin of water, and he goes around and he washes all of their feet. But while he's doing it, he tells Peter, I just want to let you know you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. Peter says, no way. I would never Luke chapter 22, verse 55, records this story. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them, and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. And she looked closely at him and said, Oh, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. He said, I feel like every time we willfully sin, we say something like that. I I don't recognize him. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. He said, Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him. He is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. That's the third time. The Lord turned, oh, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had been spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. Verse 62. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. My prayer is that my sin will hurt so bad that that's my response. That every time I sin, I I picture Jesus on the cross. Because the reality is, it's the wages of our sin is death. And that's what drove Jesus to the cross was our sin. And while it's a struggle for us to look back 2,000 something years and see a man dying on a cross, Peter had a firsthand experience. And just moments later, they beat Jesus, right? And they spit on him and they curse at him and they hit him and they put a, 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 a bag over his head and punch him so that they can say, just guess where it's coming from if you're the, the. And Peter is standing in the background watching all of this happen, knowing that the last time that Jesus looked at him was as he. He was denying him. And then he watched Jesus go to the cross. And he can't help but wonder if Peter's like, I just want it back. (laughs) Give it back. I, I, I wouldn't do it again. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And a few godly men take him down and they they put him in a tomb. And for three days, Peter has to live with this. For three days, Peter has to live with the betrayal of his best friend and that his best friend saw him do it. But he rationalized it. Now, I wasn't with him. I'm going to get away with this. Like, it'll never happen. And then his sin found him out when Jesus stood right at him as the rooster crowed. 
And now he has to deal with the consequences of guilt and shame <clears throat> and everything that comes with it. So anyway, they're, they're, they're all, all the disciples are sitting around in a home and but some of them are reminiscing about uh, Jesus healing or, or Jesus turning the, the, multiplying the bread and the fish or walking on the water or whatever. And I just imagine Peter doing what I do when I'm guilty is just sulking, like sitting in the background, like, why did I say that? 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 But then Jesus delivers on his promise to return. And in John chapter 21, he he, he comes and he shows himself to everyone, but he makes it a point to find Peter and have this conversation with him. In John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, it says this. <clears throat> when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon, Do you love me more than these? Peter says, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, Well, then feed my sheep. Do, do my work. Jesus said, Simon, not got real, he used his he used his other name. He got real. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, All right, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter becomes hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Repentance of our sin is about turning, running away from it, weeping bitterly, but pursuing Christ. And one thing that's beautiful about this is that Peter becomes the first one to preach a gospel message after Jesus ascends into heaven. He becomes the first pillar of the church and the first one to care for Jesus' sheep. So let me ask you, I want to know, do you believe these words? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus says to you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know we love you. God, I pray for us as Christ followers, as, as people who want to pursue you. Um, God, I pray that we develop a heart like David's. God, we know that David's story doesn't end because of his sin. Right? We know that his story isn't over just because of this one time. And so, God, we, we thank you that you pull us out, like that you redeem us, that you, you give us freedom away from that. Like you give us a new identity outside of our sin. And, God, we are grateful because we couldn't find it anywhere else. Thank you for paying our wages. Thank you for paying for our, our sin. And so, God, um, help us. Help us to know the depth and the weight of, of what it is we do. and Take responsibility of our sin to deal with the consequences, but to live a life free and in you. Father, you are good, and uh, we, we worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.